0: Welcome to Your High Vibration Life podcast with Robin Openshaw, also known online as the Green Smoothie Girl. When you're living your high vibration life, you're healthier in every way. You're more productive, creative, peaceful, and loving. Your high vibration life is calling. And now your host, Robin Openshaw.
1: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Your High Vibration Life. And today I want to talk about parenting. We're talking about raising resilient and resourceful children. And I have a fun guest today. He's the fourth of my six brothers. I want to talk about parenting again, because while this doesn't necessarily apply to everyone, if you are a parent, there's not much more that you care about in your life more than being a great parent and helping your kids reach their potential and be happy. And as I compare notes with other parents like me who are finishing this 25-year project, we're realizing some things that we did wrong. I hate to think of it like that, but I'm talking about some deep regrets that many of us have that I've been finding themes in lately as I talk to other parents. And so I think it's worth talking about and sharing and being open about what we did wrong that I hope that younger parents will listen to because parenting is like everything else in life. You usually don't know what you don't know. And as a young parent, there was a lot I didn't know. I did podcast episodes number seven which is called 13 Secrets for High Vibe Parenting. And number eight that I did with my friend Carol Tuttle on high vibe parenting. And I come back to this conversation because first of all, as you really begin to ascend into higher frequencies in your life, you become a less controlling, more creative, more flexible parent. And then you have a lot of epiphanies about your past parenting, you know, back when you didn't know how, And for me, at least, I start a lot of conversations with other parents at the same stage that I'm at about whether they're having similar experiences to what I'm having. And I find out they are. So today I have a great guest with a funny story that is also really an instructive story to tell you. It's my brother, Rob Openshaw. And you might be wondering if my parents just weren't very creative or what. All the names in the world and they named their kids Robin and Rob. Well, here's the thing. My mom didn't really want to have girls. When I was born, I was supposed to be Robert Jr., she had never entertained my being a girl. And she was pretty devastated when I was. And so she picked the closest thing to Robert. And yes, she told me that story when I was old enough. I didn't know what to say about that. So we'll just leave that alone. But my mother actually went on to have six sons after me. So she got her wish to raise boys in spades. But I was at my older son's wedding last month. And my brother Rob told me a really great story that highlights what I want to talk about today. I'll share my short interview with him And then I want to get into some conclusions and thoughts for parents whose kids are younger than mine, or really anyone who's interested in talking about how kids are being raised today. My kids, by the way, all have birthdays right about now. It's summer 2017 as I record this, and they're all born within two weeks of each other. They are turning 17, 20, 22, and 24. So Rob, welcome to my show, Your High Vibration Life.
0: It's great to be here, Robin. Thank you for inviting me.
1: Yeah, I want to I wanna go to this funny story you told me at Cade's wedding reception recently. But um, first, tell my audience your position in our family of origin and a little about the family that you're the head of now.
0: Okay. So um, I'm the sixth of eight children. Um, I'm the, let's see, the fourth boy And I have two younger brothers, Uh, so eight kids. I'm the sixth one. The uh, family that I have now, I'm married with three kids. I'm in my late 30s, and um, I am the director of sales for a medium sized um, education publishing company. So that's, that's kind of where I am now.
1: Yeah, so tell me a little bit about how you would describe the home we grew up in. I mean, I'm the oldest and you're the sixth of eight. And so, gosh, maybe our experiences were different. But what's different about our upbringing, the way we were raised than like our friends' homes or maybe how kids are raised now? Give me a little comparison and
0: contrast. Okay, I think in our family, it was more about you're just kind of expected to do things on your own. Um, I know our mom talked a lot about Raising independent children, and I don't remember thinking, "Wow, I'm being taught to be independent." I remember f- feeling like I don't think I'm really supported um, very much in what I'm in what I'm doing. I mean, that's how it felt for me. But at the same time, there was sort of some imposed like. You know, scarcity, there were resources that were not like my parents were not running around trying to figure out how to support me more. Um, That wasn't really at all what they were talking about. They were more about um, instilling confidence in us and almost creating, sometimes creating challenges. Um, Creating hurdles that we would have to overcome in order to become, you know, greater. Um, so they, they weren't, they weren't trying to make life easier. They were trying to make life maybe real and give us real experiences. Um, they expected us to work. They expect us to work a lot, uh, expect us to earn all the money that we needed for college. For instance, there was just never an expectation of any sort of help, um, for college or, um, I could tell, I mean, I, I won, I was actually in a a competition in high school where I placed second in the state of Utah in this, in this category of this, uh, competition, and, uh, and I needed $300 to go to Memphis, Tennessee to compete in this national competition. Cause I had, you know, placed so well at the state level and, uh, and I just didn't have the money and just didn't go, you know, I didn't, I didn't, have the I didn't know
1: that story about you, but I took two AP classes and, um, couldn't get the credits because I didn't have the money for the AP tests and it never even dawned on me and ask about asking them for money. You feel about the same?
0: Yeah. Yeah, pretty much the same. I actually had through through a family connection from where we grew up in Washington D.C. area, and then we moved out west to Utah, is where I was living in high school um, and in college. I called up um, a family friend of ours who is a congressman or was a congressman at that time from California, and uh, I called his house and asked if I could do an internship in his office. And his wife, Pam. Um, said, sure. Yeah, here's the phone number. And I called the office and they said, yeah, that should be no problem. And uh, then I did the math and I realized I did not have the $400 to get out to Washington, D.C. Um, even to stay with our aunt and uncle who live out there for free. Like I I just, I did not have the very, very scarce resources. So I could have done an internship in a congressman's office, but because of a lack of resources, I did not do that.
1: What do you think as you look at how the eight of us have turned out? Okay. We're all parents. uh, We're all supporting our families. By the scorecard of what anyone wants their adult kids to look like, how do our parents do?
0: Well, let's see. I mean, the oldest four are all um, business owners. Um, you know, seven-figure plus businesses. Um, the younger four are really independent, um, pretty successful, all with a hard work ethic. Um, people who kind of own their own problems and don't really rely on any resources outside of themselves and their, you know, their spouse and and kind of you know what they have going on. There just really isn't any dependency um, on other people and uh, people that are pretty you know, self-sufficient, I guess that's, I mean, there's kind of this, uh, they're just, they're just, none of us could really depend on anybody besides ourselves. We, yeah. we kind of look to ourselves in a real strong way, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's really true. Would you, would you get up and do in the mornings? What, what time did you get up and what did you go do?
0: <laughs> so I woke up at, uh, three 50. I think it was, uh, just before four o'clock had to be to the paper out at four o'clock. Um, and, uh, dad would wake me up. And we'd go jump in the car and drive over there and uh, roll up the papers and put them in a bag or whatever. Put on some, put on these paper bags that kind of fit over you. So you put newspapers in the front and then there's also newspapers in the back, you had to keep it balanced. And then we'd go walk or run um, on, you know, to deliver newspapers. And uh, that was like the four to five probably about five thirty, a.m. AM timeframe. And then you come back and, uh, you know, have breakfast and usually read, um, with the family, read some scriptures, that sort of thing. And then, uh, and then get to school.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And we all, our dad got up, I mean, before he drove to the Pentagon and worked his full-time job, he would get up and do a paper route. And we, some of us just like resented the heck out of it, but it's sort of amazing looking back, isn't it? Like what that taught us.
0: Unbelievable, unbelievable, and then, and and you may maybe you remember this too, but there were a number of other families that went to church with us, and it, basically every single one of them started doing what our parents had done with the paper outs. Pretty soon, like every single per every single family had paper outs in the morning. It was this idea that kind of like spread, and it started with our mom and dad.
1: So. And you know, those families have really good outcomes too. It's just about hard work and uh, and expecting big things of your kids, expecting your kids to do. To do hard things. Okay, so I'm ty- I'm dying to hear this story that you told me okay. at uh, my oldest son Cade's reception last month. Tell us about it.
0: <laughs> okay, so I'm I'm living uh, at college. Uh, I have a part time job where I earn about ten bucks an hour. Actually, no, not quite ten bucks an hour. Like nine or eight, something like that. And uh, I'm living I'm working in this uh, living in this apartment. And I have this you know this hatchback car uh, that I. Uh, that I have access to, that I paid for, um, no loan on the car. Anyway, so I'm screwing around with my friends and uh, coming back from a movie and racing somebody else. Anyway, I end up slamming my car into a curb and uh, the, the right front wheel gets smashed in. So it's like, it's turned at a 45 degree angle. <laughs> so you can't really, obviously you can't drive the car. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I have no money to have this thing fixed. So I figure out how much money I have. I have like $300 to my name. And I, so I'm like, what am I going to do? I have no idea what, how to fix this car. And obviously I don't have the resources to fix the car. Um, I barely have any money. So I called up a mechanic and I said, hey, how, I kind of explained what had happened. And I, I said, how much uh, to fix the car? And he said, well, it's at least $350 for me to fix the car. And I was like, man, that's just not going to work. So I don't have that much money. So I hung up the phone. And, uh, second phone call was to my parents and I said, Hey, I was kind of screwing around in my car. I don't remember what I said. I probably made it sound like it had happened to me or something, but definitely I did it. And, uh, I was like, Hey, I I just need to borrow your car for a few days. And, um, my mom, you know, she, she kind of was a little bit hesitant, uh, for just a moment, um, a little hesitation. And I think she covered the phone and had a short conversation with my dad and she came back on and said, uh, no. (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, what? Like, like, you have two people at your house. I know that you have three cars. Like, I know you have an extra car that I can borrow. I, I live two miles away from you. Uh, you know, I just need to borrow your car. I know you have a car that you're not using. And uh, and so I just, you know, I tried reasoning with her, tried to explain the basic facts again. Like maybe she had misunderstood me. Uh no. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, No, like she, like, I I mean, I work in sales, so convincing people is something I'm pretty used to. And uh, she, like nothing worked. She was like, no, I'm not not doing this. And I remember hanging up the phone and just being like, what in the world just happened? Like, I know where the car is, you know? Like, I think it actually crossed my mind to like go over there and just take the keys uh, and just take the car. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, obviously I couldn't, you know, get away with the car for very long. But um, anyway, so I was like, I just don't, I don't have any transportation. My job where I get all of my money. Okay. My little $8 an hour job or whatever. Um, it's two miles away from my house. I have to drive to get to a grocery store. Cause it's like four miles away. Um, so I was like, what in the world am I going to do? So, so I did, I, I walked to work. Well, you um,
1: you asked dad for more. You like, you know, like you went for broke and asked for their car, but then you backed down from there didn't you. And too key, like asked for less and less and less. <laughs>
0: I, uh, you know, I, I eventually did ask for at least like some tools if I could like beg and borrow someone to like help me fix the vehicle. Um, so, but that was, that was kind of later on after I kind of took a couple of steps on my own, but no, like there was just nothing like there, there were, there were no resources available to me. It was, (laughs) it's like, I know where the car is like our youngest brother had just gone on a mission. And so he drove a car that my parents owned and it was available. Like it, I knew it was sitting in the driveway. Like I, I knew where this car was and I knew it was completely available. So anyway, I was just like, I was totally just blown away. If I had explained that to anyone, like my roommates, I, I remember there was a different time I, I was explaining to my roommates how the things worked with my parents. And he said he said, if you do that, if you ever treat your children that way, I am going to find you and I am going to beat you up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'll tell you, mom cut out a newspaper article literally 20 something years ago, I didn't even have kids yet and gave it to me. I still have it. And it was an article about benevolent deprivation. And her explanation was you deprive your kids because if you give too much to them, they're going to turn out to be spoiled little brats. And now today there's a word for that. It's called entitlement. And you know, the millennials get criticized for it all the time because they don't have to learn to be resilient and resourceful because their parents are out telling the teachers not to give them too much homework and the parents are out there getting mad at the coaches who don't play them enough would, would our mother have ever gone to one of your coaches and said you're not playing little Robbie enough?
0: Oh my gosh no in fact I had a I had a situation um, where I was I was playing uh, I was trying out for the varsity soccer team and I'd played the previous two years and the coach was like kind of vindictive and and uh, he actually cut me he he cut all, the team all the way down. To to twenty three people and he cut just me. I, don't, I I swear this guy just hates my guts. It's like this is like the guy that I uh, in my whole life this guy that I like the least uh, of all people I've ever met. And uh, and he had a special cut. He cut the entire team down. Told everybody the cuts were over. And then that that was on a Friday. And then on Monday he just he's like oh I decided to make one more cut and he just cut me. It was he ended up getting fired and everybody hated the guy anyway. But but he he like targeted me and and there was I mean just to your point. There was absolutely no like, like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, march in there and tell them what for. No, there was, there was nothing like that at all. I was, uh, I was pretty, I was definitely all by myself.
1: You know, and we aren't, we aren't advocating for, we all turned out great. So you should never right, help right, your right. children. That's not <laughs> our, that's not our point.
0: measures. <laughs> but we,
1: they really never did help us. They gave us no financial support. They didn't solve our problems for us. And I think it made eight resilient and resourceful children but okay, so dad, mom says no to you borrowing the car, even though you they know you can. You ask for, I believe you asked for some money. I think they told you no to using their toolbox. Am I right?
0: So they, uh, I think they eventually, they eventually let me borrow a jack. Okay, so <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is interesting because I actually had helped dad pick out the jack. Like, like I we had done work on on a different car that he owned, but I have to, I have to kind of explain what happened. So, so no car. I have to get to work so I go to work and this you coworker of mine I'm like I'm you like hey walk to work? I walk to work, yeah. I walk like 2 miles to work. And uh this isn't one of those uphill both ways like I literally walked 2 miles to work. So <laughs> um <laughs> So I get to work and I'm talking to this coworker mine. I was like hey um Brandon is there any way you could just like drive me over to a a nearby junkyard? uh, you know, on lunch or whatever, like, like, could you just drive me over there? And he's like, yeah, I guess so. So like two days later, having walked to work a couple of times, he drives me to this junkyard. I call of course, and figure out that they have the part, whatever. So I get to the junkyard and, uh, talk to the guy and he has this, um, Spanish speaking, no English, but Spanish speaking guy at the junkyard, walk me out to the car and, and he's going to like remove the part for me so that I can buy the part. So I had served a mission in in South America. So I spoke Spanish. So I strike up a conversation with this guy and uh, start chatting with him as he's taking the part off the car. And I said, look, uh, and I don't remember his name, Juan or something, uh, Juan or or, uh, Jose or something like that. He, uh, I was like, hey, what, you know, would you be available to come over to my house and put this on my car for me? You seem like you know your way around a car. And uh, so anyway, so I get his phone number and I, and I, Agree with him to come over to my house on Saturdays. A couple of days later, and uh, so he comes over. Meanwhile, I have I have to call up my parents again because I'm like this guy doesn't have tools. He actually had told me he's like seen papeles, like I, I don't have papers, like I'm illegal. Okay, so um, so I get this guy to so he agrees to come over to my house. Then I have to line up the tools. I have to get the tools in place so that this guy can do the work on the car. So I call my dad and I was like, hey, uh, I was like, okay. I'm I'm you know, my car is broken. You remember that my car is broken. Is there any way that I can just borrow your Jack? And I know he has this Jack cause I helped him buy the Jack. Right. Um, can I just borrow your hydraulic Jack that you have? And, uh, and he, he didn't want to let me borrow the Jack. And I had to like, I had to like work him for a while. I was like, look, like, come on, I, this is all I need. I'm doing everything else myself. Like, can't you just let me borrow the Jack? And, uh, and finally, um, finally he goes, I remember, I just remember like clear as day. He, he said, uh, he sounded kind of put out, he's like, fine, where do you live? <laughs> 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 okay. I live three miles away from his house and have for several years. He did not know where I live. Okay.
1: <laughs> well, and this just, this just really shows how very independent <laughs> we're so independent from a young age. I mean, I was buying my own clothes at 16. I, you know, this what what the story you describe and the reason I wanted you to tell it is it yeah. just shows how resourceful you had to get. I mean this hilarious story of you going to the junkyard when you're turned down for any kind of help at all and you end up finding a Latin American who's here illegally and getting him to come to your house to pay him twenty bucks to figure your fix your car. I'm gonna tell you a quick story that I've actually never told anyone and then I'm gonna draw a conclusion from it and I and I wonder uh, what your conclusion is after, you know, many stories like that. I mean, that's just like a funny one, but when I was in fourth grade, you know, I don't know if you know this, but I wasn't allowed to wear pants. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. Mom felt that girls should wear dresses. And so I was only allowed to wear dresses, but I had two pairs of pants and all of my clothes came from garage sales until I was pretty much old enough to buy my own clothes. And so you're well familiar with the Saturday morning garage sailing. Oh yeah. That was an actual word in our household is garage (laughs) sailing. (laughs) Um, sailing. Go through the paper on Friday night and Saturday morning, you hit it at 6am. And, um, I had two pairs of pants and they were polyester pants and I wore them so much under my dresses. I was allowed to wear my pants under my dresses. For some reason, she didn't want me to wear... you know, She felt like girls wear dresses, but she's okay with me wearing pants under my dresses. So I had the red polyester pants and I had the green polyester pants. And they both had patches on the knees. Um, and they were apple patches, like a big apple on the knees of my red or green pants that I wore under dresses. And in fourth grade, Mr. Haig, who was um, very well liked, super charismatic, the kids loved him... He went on a little comedy riff in front of the whole class about the way I dressed. And for the rest of the year, I was a big loser, like big giant loser, big old L on my forehead. And worse than that, like, then I was like, just fair game. Like the teacher makes fun of her weekend. I was out on, a, on the on the monkey bars one day shortly after that. And a boy climbing under me um, said, Robin has holes in her underwear. Like yelled this out to all the kids, and so I was a total pariah, kind of played alone for a lot of that year. And you know, here's what I want to say about that: is a lot of today's parents, and I, when I say a lot, I mean this is like standard parenting nowadays. They would have gone in, they would have told the teacher off, they would have been calling the other parents, they would have been what I call pass blocking. I would call I call it offensive line parenting out there trying to solve their kids' problems. And I just want to say this: I'm really, really glad that my parents didn't go solve that problem for me because what I learned from that experience is that fourth grade isn't my whole life. What I learned is that these kids might not like me right now, but I can win them over. I can finish fourth grade strong. I can make friends. I can, I can get past this hard situation that I'm in and that resilience and resourcefulness after a painful experience. I mean, obviously I'm 50 years old and I'm talking about something that happened in fourth grade. I mean, it's painful. I'm glad they didn't solve that problem. So I wonder how you feel about your experience there in the junkyard.
0: You know, I, I went to them after a few months later. Um, and uh, I think I I think I got out of that whole situation for like 100, 150 bucks instead of the 300 bucks. So this is like literally I had enough money to, to do it once uh, this guy came over and fixed my car. Um, and uh, and I did. I, I called them up and I said, I said, you know, I thought at the time that you were being really harsh to me but uh i want to thank you for you know i, I learned this life lesson basically I, I learned that this is a problem i can solve like i didn't have to tap your resources like uh i learned things about myself through this experience and i and i told them that and i thanked him for uh for helping me mm. and uh and I, I really do feel like that. And you know, it's interesting. They, they did still help us in certain ways. Um, the, uh, for instance, I, I went on this LDS mission, and I had saved up about ten thousand dollars. With, for, I mean, I can't even count the note. I mean, there would be thousands of hours that I had worked to be ready for that. I'd saved up about ten thousand dollars. I go on the mission. I come back thinking I've spent all my money in my bank account, and they said, actually, we paid for your, we paid for your mission. You still have all the money. Good luck, you know? So, so it wasn't that they were just being harsh. I, I really think there was kind of this planning uh, there. I think there was this greater purpose um, to what they were doing. I, I, I really think that, but I was, I was very grateful and I've, I have thanked them for that. Because um, now I know that if, if something terrible happens or, you know, I, I know that I can overcome whatever kind of comes my way. So,
1: yeah, you learned that you can do hard things. And I love that what Dad did, how he made you pay for your missions. And you were one of six, all six of my brothers who paid for their own LDS or Mormon missions out of pocket, like saved enough to go pay to be away for two years and support themselves. Like, that's just extraordinary. And so um, and then when you got home, they said, surprise. Here's all that money back. Now you can use it for college, which is yep. pretty, pretty cool surprise. Well, Rob, you're my favorite brother today, which is saying <laughs> a lot since I have six of you, but I think you're an extraordinary human being. All my brothers are. And thank you so much for being with us and sharing your story.
0: Of course. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me.
1: I hope you enjoyed those stories of the way my brother Rob and I were raised. Having raised kids between a uh, birth date of 1993 and 2000, to adulthood now i can tell you some of what i see almost across the board in parenting among my peers that is really different from how maybe you and i were raised and like i said i call it offensive line syndrome and that is parents are out knocking down everyone in little bobby's path who might cause any pain for little bobby so they would be out there talking to the coach who had it in for my brother about him not getting playtime or why he got cut. They would go in and talk to my fourth grade teacher, Mr. Haig, and give him hell. As I was raising my kids, I saw countless homework projects that the parents weren't just involved in. The parents clearly did it from the planning to the execution to the display at the science fair or whatever. I saw lots of Eagle Scout awards that the kids supposedly earned, but were clearly a 20 hour a week job for one or both parents. And probably most disturbingly, I saw a lot of parents who argue with teachers and coaches and other parents and even other kids in order to make life easier for little Bobby. So heaven help the teacher who imposes a consequence on little Bobby for bad behavior. You're going to answer to mama who sees herself as the center or the left guard, making sure that Bobby doesn't have anything particularly stressful in his life. Get out of the way coach if you don't play him enough. As I was raising my kids, I had a lot of friends who were teachers. And just from the comments they made about how much offensive line syndrome there is out there, I would ask them, because here in Utah, teachers are the second lowest paid in the United States. And I would say, what's harder for you in your job, the low pay or parents who come in and want to pass block? And 100% of the time of my asking a few dozen teachers this over the course of about five years, they said absolutely the latter it's not the low pay. It's the fact that the parents are interfering with their children's experience of becoming resourceful and resilient. So what do you think about this? Do you see it? Millennials get to be the butt of a lot of jokes. And I have five millennials on my own staff and they are all completely fantastic. Plus, of course, I've raised for them. But as a generation, they take a lot of criticism in the popular media and in the economy for being entitled and sort of soft and sort of lazy. In 2016, Harvard Business Review published a paper revealing findings that successful people always, 100% of the time, have two character traits, resilience and resourcefulness. They differ in a lot of different ways, but all successful people are resilient and resourceful. So at the end of this podcast, I'm going to suggest that you write down, if you're a parent, put it on a three by five card, Tape it to your mirror. Am I helping my children become resilient, resourceful? How do you become resilient if you've never been hot or cold? Your whole life is temperature controlled. I mean, I'm being kind of metaphorical here because obviously we live in homes that are heated and cooled to be 73 all the time or whatever. I'm talking more about how you and I developed resilience to the extent that we have it by fighting our own battles. By when the fourth grade teacher makes fun of your clothes or your car breaks down and you can't get to work and it's two miles away, solving your own problem. We tend to think that our kids can't solve their problems and we have to do it. So by working our way out of things that seemed hard and sometimes even impossible, if we have that taken away from us, if we are helicopter parents, if you ever took the love and logic course, there's helicopter parents and drill sergeant parents and the love and logic methodology helps you see the error in those two ways. If we are helicopter parents, we are creating weak children. So then we head into adulthood scared and unsure with no real experience in problem solving to draw on. Our kids have never been hungry. They haven't had to work as hard as most generations. I had a 30 hour a week job when I was 15 and I had two full-time jobs in the summers between years of college because no one was going to help me pay for college. So I needed to dig deep and be very resourceful. My oldest son didn't get a job in the summers until he graduated high school. And because of my regret over some of my previous parenting decisions, I am way more vigilant with my youngest son. And this summer, I told him that unless he had enough part-time jobs to be working 40 hours a week, he couldn't drive the car. And I told him When he turned 16 that he had to start making payments on that car. And how he figured out to do that was up to him. Last year, I started having him pay for his gas and his car insurance. I'm basically trying to help him become a man, a step at a time. If anything though, if I have any regrets, my regrets as a parent are around doing too much for my kids, all in the name of, I wish I'd had a little help when I was young. And now as I finish raising my kids, I'm rethinking that and I'm wishing I'd done things a little differently. Now, my fourth grade story might have sounded pretty heartbreaking to you. It probably reminds you of a painful experience you've had in your life. I've mentioned before that a billion dollar company tried to manipulate me and destroy my business some years ago. And I thought that standing up to them and saving my business during that Persecution, I thought it would destroy me. There were many months that I thought it would. And like the fourth grade me on the playground, while I wouldn't wish either experience on anyone, I'm glad that I have the resilience that came along with solving those problems. Here's what I learned now that helps me with every single trial that comes my way I learned that I can do hard things. I learned that even if I feel very low right now, that's not how I have to feel tomorrow or in a week or a month. I learned that I'm not defined by someone's opinion of me. I learned that just because your teacher doesn't like you, or that a teacher could mobilize a group of 25 kids to make fun of you for a whole year, it's just a blip on the radar of my life. It cannot take me down unless I let it. I learned that I can win people over by showing up over and over with integrity and with kindness, even if people aren't always kind to me. I eventually did make friends that year in fourth grade. I still got good grades. I felt uncomfortable and scared because Mr. Haig was such a popular and fun teacher. And it was terrifying to have him make fun of me in front of the other kids. And I don't think he meant to cause harm. And I'm sure he'd be crushed to know the impact that had on me that year, which is a great reminder to us all. Another theme on this podcast, of course, is to be careful with our words, to use them to build up rather than to cut down, to realize how very sensitive human beings are. I learned in fourth grade that one event And even one year does not define my life or who I am. Imagine all that lost learning if a helicopter parent had learned that I was suffering that year and swooped in and taken all my pain away. Now, I'm not saying there isn't ever a time to rescue. I'd be the first one on the scene if my child or yours was in harm's way. I'm certainly not saying that we purposefully create suffering for our children. Okay, Life will do that. Life provides many learning opportunities. I'm sure right now you're thinking about some of the low points of your life, the times that you were scared, the times you weren't sure that you could overcome. And I bet you're thinking about what you learned as a result of what you went through that wasn't easy. and sometimes felt overwhelming. And if you hadn't had those early experiences, then what you're going through now would seem completely impossible to overcome. But overcome it, you will. And you know this if you had to do hard things earlier. And I believe that the two success qualities, number one, resiliency, and number two, resourcefulness are not only forged only in trial, only when we are digging deep, but also learning resiliency and resourcefulness is like learning languages and math. If we're going to be good at it, it has to start in childhood. Science has proven to us that there are windows of time in human development when we are young, where our brain is extremely open and flexible to learn math to learn additional languages. So I think the helicopter parents are hurting their kids. There, I've said it. I think the best thing we can do for our children when they're on a team, but they're sitting on the bench, or they fail a test, or they get in trouble, is to have conversations with them where we help them expand their thinking, where we ask meaningful questions that help them access their innate resourcefulness, their resiliency. I think parents who do their kids' science fair project, and please believe me when I say it was the majority in the charter school that I sent my children to, and even the public school that one of them went to, who did some or most of their kids' projects. These are overachiever parents, college-educated professionals, most of them, they're they're worrying in second grade already what colleges their kid will get into. I think the parents don't believe in their child. When they go to do their report for them, they see that the project is hard and they literally think their kid can't do it. So we should check ourselves. Do you believe your child can do hard things? Forget about whether he will, okay? Probably won't if you step in and do it for him, but can he? It might help to take stock. Take a little moment to catalog all the amazing things that you have done that you thought you couldn't do, that seemed hard or impossible at the time. Your child has plenty of gifts too. There's a good opportunity to reflect on that a bit, which is what I've done as I've been thinking about this podcast episode. Do you believe in your child? Started conversations with lots of parents the last few years, and I've learned that many of us feel very regretful about helping our kids too much, which is a very strange thing to say. But with my youngest son, I'm probably as involved as I ever was with my older kids because I've seen too many youngest children who are just flapping in the breeze and the parents are tired. They're older. They're exhausted by what all the oldest kids did. And they've kind of thrown in the towel. And I've been really determined with Tennyson to turn some things around, some entitlement, some values he's expressing that I don't think align with the charactered person I'm working with him to become. I've been really trying to praise him for doing work voluntarily. The other day he said, mom, do you need help bringing those groceries in? See, this is progress. Now, my kids' projects didn't win first place. Pretty sure we never won any awards in the science fair, but they will always remember their science fair projects because they did them themselves. I didn't have the idea and I didn't do the project. I was there to answer questions and help remind them that they can do it. Maybe ask a few questions of them to help them think creatively. And I took them to the store for the supplies and that's it. Science Fair Project is really just an example, but kids whose parents have offensive line syndrome and do the pass blocking for Bobby raise weaker Bobbies, kids who aren't sure what their purpose is in life, kids who get fired from their jobs because they aren't willing to dig deep or because they can't just not go to work whenever they have a conflict in their schedule. They are used to being excused and they're used to being rescued. So it's kind of the downside of affluence. For several generations now, we've had no major war. We've had mounting affluence and it's a well-known consequence that in generation three of that situation where there's a lot of affluence for, for several generations that the third generation has some really uh, missing pieces of their character. It's like having flabby muscles. You have flabby muscles if you don't act exercise them. And so if we don't exercise our resilience and resourcefulness muscles, we lose them, or we don't develop them in the first place, or we don't realize we even have them. So I really believe we need to develop them in childhood. By age 18, gradually, hard problems to solve are so critical in child development and are part of children becoming well-adjusted adults. When we take those opportunities away from our children, I believe we're hurting them. If my mother had heard the dramas I was having with friends in junior high, like every other junior high school girl did, and called up all the other moms and pass blocked for me, I would have missed out on some relationship skills That today served me very well. So, I hope if you're a parent, you write this question on a three by five card and you put it somewhere you see every day until it's really ingrained in the way that you think about parenting. Am I helping my child become resilient and resourceful? It's never too late to start having different conversations with our kids. Now, my conversations with my son are around encouraging him to do hard things. He's taken the ACT four times in the last six months, and these are his scores 25. 26, 27, 28. And this is what real life is. It's chipping away. It's not big swoop in and win the science fair with a project my dad did moment of glory. It's taking a test five times and getting a point higher every time. So I'm praising him when he helps without asking and when he works hard in sports or school. And when I see him being kind, I think being kind is the most important thing he can be. And he'll learn to be kind as I model it to him, not as I lecture him about it. I praise him, but I'm also not afraid to correct him. I try on a good day. I correct my son without anger. The best correction is clear. It minces no words about how his behavior is unacceptable to me and it won't serve him well in his life, but it's said with love. I'm talking about on a good day, right? And with a belief that he can do better and that I know he will. More and more, I'm talking to him about money, I did some really cool things with my kids as they were growing up to give them entrepreneurial opportunities. It only took with one of my kids, the entrepreneurial bug so far anyways, but oh my gosh, it's fun to see how wildly successful this one child is this summer. She's on track to make thirty or $40,000 in a summer sales job. This summer and her manager brought her up in front of all the other first year reps and said, Emma is crushing it. She's the only girl who hadn't gone home by that point in the summer, partly because her mom's an entrepreneur and taught her to work and to sell and to be self-starting. I'm having conversations with my son about character. If I get hit by a bus tomorrow, I want my son to know that I stood for something, that I cared about how he treats his date. I want him to know that he makes his date feel like a million bucks. I talk to him about how when a girl says no, it means no. I talk to him about when he returns his date to her parents that night, she'd better come back in pristine condition like when she left. I tell him that whoever he's with, when they walk away from him, should feel happy, encouraged, and uplifted because he's in this world. So let's be parents who don't make excuses for our kids, who love our kids enough to let them stand and face the music when they screw up and say, I love you anyway, but what you did isn't okay. Even when facing the consequences is painful for them. So I want to express my love to you, love of parenting, love of doing this show and sharing with you things that are meaningful to me and that I've learned along the journey. I hope you'll share this episode. If it'll be meaningful to any young parent, you know, it's the stuff I wish I'd known 20 years ago. Remember that right now, before my book Vibe publishes on October 10th, 2017, you can pre-order it. So many people have that the price has been driven way down on Amazon. And then write us at Caroline at greensmoothiegirl.com with your Amazon order number. And we'll give you the $19 audiobook right now for free. Thanks for being here. It means the world to me. And I'll see you next time.